narrative, some lessons we're going to learn, not only from God and from Jonah, but we've got some pagans that teach us a lesson, and we've got some Gentiles that teach us a lesson. So we'll be looking at that this evening. And also I, I noted, uh, you're, you're all familiar, I'm sure, with, with the story. Uh, also a kind of fore, foreshadowing of something that'll happen to our Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to the book of Jonah in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Well, let's start off here. Who would like to start us off in verses 1 to 3? 1 to 3. Brother David? All right, what, so what, what does God command his prophet Jonah? Go where? Where's Nineveh? Who's Nineveh? Kind of close, just above. Uh, what nation is it associated with? Do you, know, you remember? Nineveh, capital city, not, not Babylon. Starts with an A ends with an A, Assyria. Uh, from our narrative back in Jeremiah, we saw the nation of Assyria. Um, and before that too, back in, in Chronicles. They're the nation that God is eventually gonna use to cart the nation of Israel away. And that's not too far off in the future from where we are in the book of Jonah. But God is greater, so much greater than us, and he knows so much more than us, that he's going to give them a chance in the book of Jonah. He's going to warn them what's coming. And I don't know about you, but I find that kind of interesting. Not only is Assyria Gentile, but they're wicked, and they're the group that's going to come and take God's children away kind of an interesting mix here. God loves everyone though, so he still loves Assyria in spite of what they're doing, and he's gonna use his prophet to go warn them before it's too late. God warned Israel, they never listened. God warned Judah, they listened for a little bit, but then they stopped listening. Let's see if Nineveh listens. Let me read verses 4 to 10, get the context of this first part of Jonah not really wanting to go there. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, 
What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation and whence comest thou? What is thy country and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. These mariners are pagans, multiple gods. Each, each one has a god, little g, that they're first crying out to for help. They realize that this is not something usual. This seems to be a storm of maybe supernatural proportions. And where's Jonah, verse 5? Sleep in the hold. He knows what's going on. He's trying to get away from the Lord. He's not afraid of the Lord necessarily, but he's, uh, he's hiding from him. But the pagans, amazingly, see God. God reve is revealed in the storm. They realize that God, capital G, is behind this, and Jonah is the reason that the storm is here, because Jonah indicated to them what was going on, and they're, they're afraid. They're afraid for their lives. Their little gods can't do this. Capital G God not only can do it, but he is doing it. So it's interesting point here, as God rages the storm around them, they're the ones that realize what's going on very quickly, and they want help. Verses 11 to 16, anyone want to read that chunk? 11 to 16? All right, let's, let's, let's continue. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Who knows what effect eternity will show was made on these, these sailors. 
Did some of them turn to God, the creator at this point? Are they just afraid? Who knows? Could be when we get to heaven, we'll find out that one of these sailors not only feared the Lord, but came to understand who the Lord is during this time. Maybe, maybe he got saved. Maybe that was part of why the Lord dealt with Jonah this way at this point. Only God, God knows at this point, and if any individuals were saved, they're up in heaven now enjoying it. But uh, very interesting account here. Why do you think Jonah was so reluctant to go? Why, why did the Lord do this to him? Now, why wouldn't he want the people of Nineveh to be saved? We've kind of hinted at it. They're going to be enemies. They're enemies of Israel. We just told you that they're the nation that God is going to use to take Israel away into captivity. Um, would we have wanted to go into Nineveh if we knew that Assyria was going to do all this? Maybe. Maybe it would have been kind of hard for our heart to go, go tell a message to a people that you'd really like to see gone. And it's something to think about. But the Lord continues, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So the Lord commanded Jonah to go. Jonah, Jonah refused. The Lord made the storm. Now the Lord stops the storm now that he's got Jonah where he wants him. And he's got the fish that he's already made ready for, for Jonah to swallow him up. Jonah's going to have three days and three nights to think about this and figure out what, he, what, what to do next. Let's go on a little bit farther. Chapter 2. Verses 1 to 9. Yes, ma'am. Aren't you glad that God hears you even if you're in the middle of a fish down under the sea? You know, what else could you do at that point? Um, he was in quite a strait. But what a marvelous 
testimony here Jonah gives when he finally realizes that the Lord's got him where he wants him and he wants Jonah to come back to him in obedience the beautiful language here of praise to God for who he is and what he can do and thank, thankfulness to God for hearing him and the last five words of, of chapter of verse 9 chapter 2 there salvation is of the Lord is really the key of the entire book um, kind of a, a renewal of Jonah's relationship with God possibly salvation for one or more of the sailors that were with Jonah before and also who knows what Nineveh is, is yet to do when they hear the message that God has for them. So God's got Jonah back in the situation that he wants Jonah to be in, the frame of mind he wants Jonah to be in. So verse 10, and the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So, chance number two for Jonah, and aren't you glad God gives second chances? Let's go a little farther here. Verses one to four, we're down to chapter three. Who'd like to read that for us? Miss Cindy, we'll go up there. So we're seeing a little bit of in more information about Nineveh. It was a great city, verse 3. When it mentions there about three days' journey, uh, some commentators indicate maybe it was so big that it took three days to go from one side to the other, or maybe it was just so far away from where Jonah was at this point that it took him three days to get there. Uh, not clear, but Jonah gets there. And what's the message in verse 4? From God to the city? 40 days. Enough time to do something, right? If you're of a mind to do it. 40 days isn't like it's going to happen tonight. where You really don't have much time to think about it. But if they don't repent the city is going to be overthrown. God, God will see to that in 40 days. So that's the message. Short and sweet, but very serious. And let's review again what the city is going to do. Five to nine, do I have a reader for that? Miss Kelly. Thank you. 
kind of amazing. They believe. It didn't seem to be too hard. They needed to hear the message. They must have had an understanding of the Lord God from their dealings with Israel. I'm sure there was trade between the two places. They were planning eventually to come down there and take them over, so they had some idea of what went on in Israel. But they believed from the greatest to the least. They put sackcloth on, so they were physically showing that they were in mourning for what they had done, which indicates there was a degree of repentance here. They fasted, it says in verse 7, both man and beast couldn't taste anything for a period of time, no, fo no food, no water. And they were crying mightily unto God, verse 8, and verse 8 does seem to be an indication that there was some true repentance going on, turning from their evil way, from the violence that is in their hands, with the hope, verse 9, that God would not do what he threatened to do. God will repent of judgment coming if he sees true repentance. And let's see what verse 10 and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. God is merciful. They deserve to be wiped out. But God said, nope, not right now. They did what I asked, and they did it well, from the king down to the least of them. So he repented of the evil. Jonah's not so happy now, strangely enough. And verse chapter 4, kind of interesting as we go through it. Let's move down a little bit farther. Verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Doctor? very upset. You kind of, that's kind of about as low as you can go, asking God to take him away. He's had enough of this. He's, yeah, he really is. I mean, he's very upset. Um, yes, God is gracious. Yes, God is merciful in verse 2. But he desired a servant of his to at least tell them the message. And that's what Jonah's job was, just to tell. Jonah wasn't saving them. He was just giving out the message. We don't save people when we go door to door and, and talk to them. God does the saving, but he desires us to be his vehicle to go and tell. Jonah was not happy going to tell these people. Now let's go a little farther. Verses 4 to 6. Miss Cindy again, 4 to 6. Thank you. 
All right. Jonah goes out of the city, sits himself down. He's going to sit there and watch. So apparently he's going to wait 40 days. He wants to see what God is going to do at the end of these 40 days or a period up to maybe those 40 days to see if God is truly not going to do anything if things are going to go well for the city now. And this plant that comes up with apparently big enough leaves to come up over his head to give him some shadow turns out to be a little bit of joy for Jonah. You know how hot it is to sit out in the desert. Any shade is welcome. And so a little bit of joy comes into Jonah's life with the shadow from the gourd as he sits there and watches the city to see what was gonna happen. But God's still not done with Jonah. Verses seven to nine, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smelt the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. His little bit of joy disappeared with the death of the gourd. Now he's back to grumpy Jonah again, like he was at the beginning of chapter 4. He's not happy. This whole situation seems to have taken him the wrong way. Uh, you know, God, why couldn't you have done this all by yourself? I really didn't want to do this. And here I am, unhappy again. But verses 10 and 11, someone want to read that in conclusion? Uh, Miss Seal? When we go out to do the Lord's will, being sinful humans with not a lot of uh, maybe stem, spiritual stamina at times, you ever get to the point where something small kind of bothers you and sort of throws the picture off of what God is doing with you at that point, where you have ever said, I really don't want to do this anymore, you know, I'm tired. Let someone else do it. Uh, I was happy sitting at home in my couch. I really didn't want to be out in the sun when it's 110 degrees and smoke from the fires of Canada filtering down on me and I can't breathe well. Um, when, you when you look at eternity though, how valuable were these lives of the people in Nineveh compared to a gourd, compared to Jonah's discomfort? Certainly, six score would be 120,000. Sure would have been. 
Yeah. Kind of like he's got the blinders on. He's looking at the little picture right in front of him and not thinking about what the whole point of all this was. How valuable is a human life? One life would have been enough to make it worth it. But uh, hopefully Jonah meditated about what happened and learned his lesson. You know, God was gracious with him. God's not done with, with Jonah, though. There's one more book in the Minor Prophets that kind of is the rest of the story for Nineveh. Do you know what book I'm talking about? Nahum. Nahum. Yeah, we'll get to Nahum in a couple weeks. Uh, but for now, things are looking better for Nineveh. Maybe again, some of these people have saved, were saved. Remember the key verse in chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. Uh, who knows? Who knows how many were saved? I can read my notes over and uh, think about this. Go over into the book of Matthew, see the reference I cited about Jesus comparing what happened to Jonah to what he did when he went to the grave and went down into the depths of hell for a little bit and then rose again up to heaven. Uh, some similar ideas and thoughts there. Any thoughts or comments on the book of Jonah? Yes. Yeah, these are just the general population of Nineveh. Uh, the ones that we saw in chapter 2, putting on the sackcloth and fasting. Uh, God blessed them. God bless him. Found out where he went and what he did. Uh, they might have been upset with him. But as pastor has said, it's not easy being a prophet no matter where you go or what you do. You're, Jeremiah's uh, existence, he basically had one friend in the world besides God. <laughs> what he went through. Yes, Miss Kelly? Again, I'm thinking, they're just above Israel. So there would be trade going on between the two. They understood, I think, enough about Israel to want to come down and take them over in just you know, another 50, 100 years. They, they, they knew each other. Um, in order to get anywhere to the west, you'd have to go, like getting down to Egypt, you would have to go through Israel and Judah. They, they would hear about it. They would see the temple, I'm sure, realize what was going on down there. They, I'm sure they heard the stories of the wilderness journeys, God taking them out of Egypt, destroying Egypt's army, you know, all of that. I'm sure that spread all over. Um, that's, a, that's, that's, a good, that's a good... Basically, he's saying, I'm not going to destroy you right now. That's the, that's the big offer. But since salvation is really the theme of the book... Um, it's not too hard to imagine that that was an offering as well 